Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Real World Parenting. I'm really glad you're here. And I am really glad today to be here with Lisette Lahana, who has been uh, an amazing mentor for me professionally as I have uh, learned and grown and and tried to do my best to show up for kids and families navigating gender journeys. Um, so welcome, Lisette. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Yeah, I just thought today we're going to talk a little bit about um, what we see. Because how many how many years have you been working with? kids and families and in the gender community at large? Probably around 23 years. Right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> listeners, yeah, kick back. There's, there's Lisa has a, a wide range of wonderful experience and she'll tell us a little bit more about that in a, in a minute. But today we're going to come together to have a conversation about um, how to support parents who are adjusting to their child's gender exploration um, or gender clarity, uh, and we talk often about um, the importance of space for the family to adjust to a child's changing gender needs. 
And both of us, we were chatting quickly before. We want to be really clear that today when we're talking, we're going to talk about um, grief and the concept of ambiguous loss and what happens when your hopes or expectations change and, and how being real about the feelings that parents are having can help in some situations a family move its process along to be affirming, to be the advocate that your children need and how sometimes uh, parent grief gets in the way. And we'd like to offer clinicians and parents some strategies to help deal with loss and grief if that is part of what a family is dealing with. So before we dive into the nuts and bolts, tell me, Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you end up in, this, in the chair chatting with me today. Sure. Um, so I'm a clinical social worker, so I'm a therapist, and I um, have a bachelor's degree in critical gender studies and um, psychology also from UC San Diego, and I have a master's in social work from Smith College, and um, I identify as Latinx, I am cisgender, and queer identified. Um, and I was licensed in 1999 and started private practice at that time. And at the same time as private practice, I had been working with kids. I worked with kids uh, primarily as a play therapist um, on a team that served Latinx families. Um, and over time, I ended up moving to working kind of in a mix of outpatient um, hospital kind of behavioral health departments, as well as continuing my private practice. Um, I'm also a member of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health um, since around 2002, and I'm now a certified WPATH member and a certified WPATH mentor to help therapists uh, in their process of learning how to become gender therapists. And so currently I have a private psychotherapy practice in Oakland, and I work with people of all ages, kids, teens, um, adults, as well as their families. And I'm a mentor and consultant to gender therapists who are learning how to become gender therapists. So I do that often through online video consultation groups, um, as well as individual consultation. And um, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. So, and, and I'm, yes, as I said, grateful to have learned a ton, um, in those, in those latter groups and settings and glad you're joining today. You know, when, when parents and other clinicians are, are checking in, tell us a little bit, as I mentioned a little bit, but say, say more about this idea of grief or loss or, or shock. Like do, do all parents experience Shock, anger, and grief. Let's talk a little bit about that. That's a great question. I think it's actually one of those myths that's out there around how parents react or how family members react. I've definitely had family members come in and say, all right, my kid has told me this information. I'm really glad they could trust me with it. Now what? So sometimes it's a, I have no idea how to help them and I want to. Sometimes parents come in feeling relieved, like I knew something was going on all this time and I'm so glad that they opened up and now I'm finally putting the pieces together that there's something going on with their gender. So uh, sometimes there's immediate support and they've done a lot of research and already know exactly why they're there to see me. Um, and um, yeah, so, so often parents are coming in with that kind of set of issues feeling like they want more answers. And then, of course, there's the other parents who come in feeling confused and overwhelmed um, or shocked 
or um, really worried. So um, those parents, really all parents may go through some kind of process of loss, uh, loss of kind of what they expected for their kid. And so, but we see a, a variety of emotions connected to that loss. Um, so I think today we're going to talk a little more about parents where there's a more um, intense kind of experience of loss. Yeah, thank you for that. Because it's really interesting to hold this piece, I think, with kids and families that thank you for clarifying that it isn't, we, we don't want to, sometimes when we're talking about disclosure or coming out to parents or things, almost like we're, we're p- planning with folks how to do, um, you know, terminal health news or, or this, this, um, you know, inevitably devastating piece. And, and what we want to really focus on today is that not all families do experience grief and families experience it differently. And we want to be really clear, like tell them, I've heard some parents say, or I've read some stuff that says, when we talk about grief and having transgender or non-binary kids, I've heard some people talk about this idea that it was as if they're the child that they had birthed and thought they were raising had died. What, what would you like, what are your thoughts about that? Um, honestly, it can be really difficult when I hear that from parents. Um, and I've heard transgender and non-binary people say, oh my God, when my parent uses that language, it makes me feel so awful because I haven't died. Hello, I'm still here. Um, so I've definitely heard people say that. Um, so I do want to be careful when we're talking about grief and loss. Um, transitioning or making gender changes is not a death. Um, so I so want that to be clear. In fact, for many people, it can be about getting a new leash on life. For many kids, it can be uh, about being birthed in a new way a new beginning. And certainly for, for kids and teens who have suicidal feelings, um, transition or making gender changes can give them life because many of those kids are at high risk of um, suicide or harming themselves because of um, untreated gender dysphoria. So I just want to make that, I want to put that out there because I do think it's really important that um, we don't only talk about transition or gender changes as as a mini death in some way. Um, so I just wanted to say that out loud. Yeah, and to make room for it, right? Because if some, uh, you know, if young people are championing that idea because it helps explain to their parents, then we can we can make room for that in session. But broadly speaking, we want folks to think about the fact that what, what people are grieving, we're going to talk about ambiguous loss, but what people are often grieving, the parents who do experience grief, are grieving what they thought. They're grieving a change of plans. They are grieving that they no longer feel competent or confident that suddenly their parenting rug has been yanked uh, from underneath them. And so they're grieving, feeling a bit unanchored and unsure and confident in the decisions they're making. They may be grieving community that they're anticipating may not be affirming or relationships that will change or almost like they're grieving in advance for what they think is going to be harder for their kids. So we, we want to be really clear that it for young people, it isn't, it isn't helpful for them to think their parents are grieving because of who they are. When parents do have grief, it's because of what they know may be tangled up in this process of change for their family and their hopes. Am I saying that in a way that makes sense? 
Yeah, I really like how you're saying that. I think that the word that you used when we were talking earlier was anticipatory loss. And I really like that word, that they're they're thinking ahead of time, oh, I'm not going to be able to experience this thing that I envision myself experiencing with them. Um, and, uh, you know, the other, I had a family recently who had talked about, you know, our family has always just been three girls. When we talk about our family, we talk to everyone about us and the girls. How am I going to think about myself if, if I now have a son? Right. So it was just, it really shook them up in the foundation of how they understood their family. We were a family of three girls. <laughs> so, right. so that's just a little example of like, gosh, this is really shaking me up in how I understood my family to be. Um, and I, you know, the other thing I wanted to just um, mention is this really interesting concept that one of my colleagues, Ben Balbuka, had mentioned in a workshop about grief and loss quite some time ago. And I learned about ambiguous loss. Um, and this came about through Pauline Boss, um, who wrote about ambiguous loss in her book from 2006. And she, she originally was doing this work around um, death and people, for instance, losing a loved one who had dementia. Um, and, or losing a loved one physically because they're MIA during a war. Um, so you want, you just, it was difficult to grieve when that person physically wasn't there, but they could still be around, right? So there are all these kind of ambiguous um, issues around not having that person there. So there are two types of ambiguous losses, and both can apply to the work we do and to how parents experience someone making gender changes or transitioning. Um, so one is there's a physical absence of the person um, and still a psychological presence. So that that's an interesting one for us to think about, which might be my um, my kid went through transition, maybe an older teen, and the body started to change, the look started to change as they moved to living. This kid maybe was assigned male at birth and moved to living as a trans feminine uh, teen. So with, if a mom or dad or parent says, God, my kid looks totally different. Um, I miss hugging my kid's old body, right? They, they even smell different. Um, their hair is different, right? So my kid, who I've always known physically, is gone. But we laugh at the same jokes. We like watching the same movies, right? Um, but it can still be jarring to have that that physical kind of presence be gone in some way, right? Even though the body and, and that person's core identity is still there around who they are as, as a kid. Does that make sense, Laura? Yeah, I, I really... that that applies so that there's this mixed messaging, right? The ambiguousness, it's unclear why I'm feeling loss if this person is, is you know, if, there is, if the essence of this person, if the interests of me are still in front of me, but the body is gone. So know that I really appreciate how you articulated that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then the second part is that there's a physical presence, uh, the person's still there, but there's a psychological absence. Um, so there's something, something missing. So an example might be um, if a teen goes through puberty on testosterone, they might have been assigned female at birth and their body started to change or his, his body started to change. Um, sometimes there can be changes in self-esteem, positive changes, confidence, 
Um, sometimes a teen might report being less sensitive emotionally. Maybe they used to cry all the time and now they're crying less. Um, and so a parent might say, God, you know, my kid is still there, but they're really different. Like who they are in the world is different. How they relate to their friends is different, right? How they relate to me feels really different, but I know that they're still there, right? So that's an example of kind of the physical presence, but the psychological absence. Um, I miss kind of who that person was with me before. Yeah. And that, no, I, and, and, and in some ways, obviously, well, obviously in some ways it is easier than or elements of ambiguous loss are easier than really permanently losing a person. But in other ways, it's more confusing because what, what parents, if parents are experiencing grief around what's happening there, I think we, a lot of times in child psychology and social work, we have a little bit of a dilemma about like, how much parents should show their true feelings. <laughs> like when is it appropriate for your children to see that you are struggling and, and how is it because you're human, right? And we want our kids to be able to handle emotions. And when is it um, not okay for your kid to know that you're experiencing some loss around this? How have you seen parents um, stumble a little bit in this area? And then let's talk a little bit about what parents can say or do if like, are parents just supposed to fake it, that, it, that they're fine with everything? Great question. Um, you know, I think that, well, just to give you an example of what not to do. Yeah. Um, I had, I'm, I'm being very, I'm not going to give any details, of course, to protect client confidentiality. Um, but just for example, I had a team come to me and say, oh, God, my mom has been so dramatic and so emotional about my transition. It's so hard. You know, one day, you know, this day last week, she took me and sat me down on the steps and she was crying. And she said, oh, God. And I said, Mom, what's going on? I'm grieving, the kid said. And it was so impactful for them, although they knew their mom had been kind of weepy and feeling down. It really made them feel like, oh, you know, I'm such a burden. My mom is having so many feelings about this. And um, it was really hard for that kid. And I know it's hard for kids to feel. Sometimes it actually delays them coming out for quite some time to feel like they're going to be a burden to their family especially if it's a family that's struggling, maybe struggling financially or struggling with other um, other issues in their environment, for a kid to then say, all right, I'm going to put yet another thing on my parent, right? It's difficult. So if they get a sense that their parent is really overwhelmed, struggling, stressed, upset, that can sometimes really uh, delay them being able to... Um, get what they need, whether that's puberty blockers or hormones or being able to wear different clothes or go by a different name. Um, so sometimes that really delays the coming out process significantly. And, and what we see then is uh, it impacts mental health for those teens or for those kids. So so that's, you know, one of the things where if a parent is having really big feelings, it can affect kids and teens. And I want to also validate this parent is having big feelings and that's normal, right? It's not abnormal to have big feelings when your kid is coming out or when you've learned about their gender. However, um, the way this parent could have improved this uh, dynamic is to 
have the big feelings, but have them with a friend or have them with a partner or journal about them, um, see a therapist or even better, find a peer support group. That might even be an online group, but it's wonderful to be able to make a contact in person with someone who's going through something similar as you. So, so I definitely don't want to shut that parent down because it's imperative in there in that for them to make movement around coming to terms with their kid coming out. It's imperative. They have all of these feelings, even if they're really big feelings. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and what, what we find, right. Is that, that, and I think you and I both sort of said at the beginning, there are some really beautiful things that come along this journey for, for families. There's a closeness, there's connection, there's a sense that you're in it together. There's learning to communicate about stuff you might not have had to otherwise can be really powerful from an attachment standpoint. You make new friend, new community, you learn all kinds of different ways of thinking about the world, new passions and priorities may develop. But, but if we don't give parents the space, if they're having, because all of us parents are human. Some of us feel grief about anything more intensely than others. Some of us have a hard time changing gears in our heads more than others of us have a hard time changing gears. Some of us are going to have more deeply held prior beliefs that this challenges than, than others are. So we're trying to find that sweet spot between, you know, allowing the parents that are having this sense of loss space and time to process it because otherwise what we see, I don't know what you see, but what I see in my office is that grief distances a child, puts kids at more risk because things they need aren't happening. Neither rushes things or it slows things way down. It says yes to too much or no to too much. It just shows up in lots of different, different ways if the parents haven't done their work. Does that, does that sound Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm thinking about a family I worked with some years ago, and I, at the time, I thought it would be a good idea for the kid, for the teenager and the parents to be in the same room talking about how transition was feeling to everyone. And this actually, this is the kid who had transitioned at the time, but was just talking about it with the parents. And the parents started saying things that were one can say transphobic, right? This is a big mistake. You don't know what you're doing. This is trans, transgender people are extremely unhappy people. It was very um, hurtful for the young person to hear this. And they really shut down in the session. And it affected their feelings toward their parents um, for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, and so in the few, what I learned from that was once I got a sense that that parents might need to express all of those fears because really everything they were saying was based in fear yeah. and they were really trying to kind of convince their kid, don't do this, don't be this, right? Yeah. Um, please. And so their heart was completely in the right place in that moment. And they were, they, everything they were saying was based in how much love their they have for their kid. However, the way it ended up coming across was that it did some damage and damage to the kid, their, their mental health, right? And actually it delayed their coming out process by years. Um, so now I'm really careful where I have the kid kind of give me a signal if there's something that's starting to feel hurtful and they can excuse themselves to go out to the waiting room or I keep a really clear eye on what's going on. And if I feel like the parents are gonna say something that later they might wish 
they didn't say um, or something that's harmful, I'll kind of put a pause on it and say, this might be a great thing for us to talk about one-on-one and I, and it's protective for the family system to do that. To to be able to do that. Right. Cause I definitely have had conversations where when I've talked to kids at a time, I'll say, I don't know, does it feel as if, you know, your parents are feeling kind of sad about this change for you and and let kids say sometimes you know and then I can also do a little bit of modeling like here's what we know you know mom and dad or parents uh, you know all genders do you do you intend like are you sad about who your kid now I have to know ahead of time that I've prepped the parents and worked with them but it can be really healing to have parents say I'm sad for what I don't know I'm sad for what I didn't see you know, I'm sad that what I, you know, I thought I was going to be doing more girly things, quote unquote, right? And apparently we're, we're yeah. more guy stuff, but, but I'm not sad about who you are at all. And I need, you know, I need time and I'm learning and, and, and often that's a really connecting moment. Um, but you have to have done that, that work so that both the child and the parents can, can frame grief as that way. Like, this is not grief for your truth and not grief that you are naming what you need. It is knowing that we have to make changes and adjustments and knowing. Also, I think knowing not everybody in the world is going to understand this. And so they're anticipating that they will have hard conversations, distanced relationships. And so... They're, they're yeah. starting that, they're borrowing that sadness from what they think is coming. And it may come. I mean, we can't tell parents and families and kids that, that there won't be a strain in some relationships. Sometimes there is actual loss in community, in relationships, changes in school. Sometimes those happen. We can't, we can't pretend that there aren't collateral losses. Um, but working... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let me interrupt you. It's just making me think of this dad that I worked with who was so against um, their kid who was non-binary identified, so against them transitioning and taking testosterone. This was a kid assigned female at birth and a teenager. And the dad was so adamant that this shouldn't happen. I, I think his words were, this is a runaway train, right? And he was so, so... Um, upset about this but then when we actually started to do the exploration which I did with, without the kid there and we really met as a team um, just the parents and myself the dad ended up saying you know my kid is is a kid of color things are already hard enough and now my kid is going to be gay because the kid was attracted to boys and transgender I don't want this for them. Yep. And he wasn't saying, I don't want my kid to be this. He was really saying, I don't want life to be hard for my kid. Yes. Right. And doing that exploration ahead of time, like you said, this is groundwork. This is foundational work that needs to happen before you can bring the family back together with the kid to talk about trans- transition in general and how everybody's feeling. Because in, in that, in that um, example that you just mentioned too, ultimately when that space is made, then both the young person and the dad can actually join about how it stinks that there are still all these factors at work, right? That, that you, can, you can join about the challenges of intersectionality. You can say, we just, we hate that it's real, that this adds a layer of complexity and we together sure wish it were different. 
Now, how do we support you in navigating that? And what do we need? That's right. right. And the, and ultimately, where the conversation ended up was um, where the conversation was what will happen as a family if he does experience this level of discrimination or racism or transphobia. What can you do as a family? Right. And so discussing together, okay, well, we have great communication. My kid has is resilient. We have a lot of communication when things like this happen. Well, we're going to be supporting one another, right? So we could have a talk about just what you said, Laura. This actually might happen. You may be discriminated against. You may be in pain. And I think what we said was, but you saying I'm not going to transition or I'm not going to take hormones doesn't change the fact that the kid is non-binary or transgender, right? And that was the case in the situation. Just even if somehow the kid backed down and said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna move forward on this, because this was a kid who was almost 18, that doesn't change the reality of who they are, right? Um, and and the parents were kind of almost hoping, like bargaining, if 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 he doesn't move forward, then maybe um, he'll be protected. Yeah. Right? But the truth is he would he's not completely, he's not protected and he's suffering because of the level of gender dysphoria. And we see too, I think a lot of this idea of the runaway train and and can't we wait it out. In every episode I talk about this, I do talk about the need for, with children and teens, folks who understand child development, want to reassure parents and family members who are listening, there will be assessments when things are done in a gender-affirming way. Nothing, nobody's hopping on a runaway train when the work is done well and done right. It's, it, and so it becomes a, a challenge to sit and, and meet parents where they're at about, well, it's happening everywhere now. And, and, and I think what brought that particular issue up for me, Lisa, was you saying that what happens when children are not seen and not given permission to explore and take steps to, to find the congruence there are still implications. So there are implications when you say yes and your family is going to navigate this identity. There are implications when you say no. And we've seen those over the past many decades. That's what we, we have seen what happens when kids repress, hide, are ashamed of, get the message it needs to be secret or they're broken. We know that that leads to tremendous risk factors um, for kids. So yeah. parents think they're being protective um, and it feels easier to hope that your kid will pass through this than it does to change societal racism and transphobia and homophobia. That can seem overwhelming if you feel tasked with that. But it's it's you, kids need us in the corner. It's one conversation, one hug, one affirmation one problem solving, you know, what strengths does our family have? We, we have done hard things. We can do hard things and we're going to get to celebrate this in ways too. It, you know, it's a balance of all of that. Um, I, I love that. And I, I think it is okay to say to your kid, mom's finding this hard, right? I'm finding this hard, but you know what? This has nothing to do with how much I love you. Yeah. Right, just because I'm finding parts of this hard, and mom's doing her own work behind the scenes, 
Um, and I'm so glad that you, you know, who you are. I'm so glad that you're working on this for yourself. I'm here to support you, right? So I think it, it is okay for kids to know parents are having a struggle, right? This is, this is changing things for me too inside. And I need some time to kind of work on this, right? Um, and part of my role as a therapist, as you said, is to help kids understand where their parents are at. Um, so they understand, even though their parent is maybe slowing things down or, or struggling, has said no for now about a particular medical intervention, um, that doesn't mean their parents aren't in a process of change too, right? So the change has already started because we're having a conversation about this. And I, yes, I want to just put that out there. I'm talking about all these little mini case examples, but, you know, yes, I have also uh, done uh, assessments and really gotten to know the kids in depth before we're moving toward medical intervention. So um, I'm giving you examples that have come about after I've assessed a kid as well as diagnosed that they have met the criteria for gender dysphoria. Right. And and, and that, yes, because it's so interesting, right? This conversation among parents around coffee tables and water coolers very quickly goes to the medical intervention and, and there are many kids who, who absolutely need medical intervention and medical guidance. There are still plenty of families who aren't there yet, won't ever get there, that still experience loss and fears and concerns around social transitions, around names, around clothing choices, around activities, around feedback they're getting in the world because their kid is breaking these gender rules that, that are so... Um, uh, set in stone. So no, I appreciate it, it, clarifying because I think once you get into the world of gender more than you then then you recognize how how much thought goes in and how much understanding needs to be dedicated to um, helping center the child's experience and understanding how they know what they know and 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 helping guide. But that nobody's leaping forward directly there. I think everybody just jumps right to that in conversation. And while it's an imperative part of care for many children, it isn't an automatic part for all children who are in this journey. And I, that's always important to say too. Are there, are there other parts of loss that you, I'm thinking of a family that um, worked with who, for whom little things like that would come out to me when I started doing this work um, that I hadn't thought about where, for instance, in one case, there were family photos all over the wall. And the, for the first eight years of a child's life, the child was being gendered in family photos as somebody assigned female at birth. And there are lots and lots of frilly pinks and frocks and things. And this child is now an adolescent and, it, and it's painful. Not all kids experience looking at images of themselves and their prior gender self as, as painful. But some really do. And so I sat with a mom and I just cried about the fact that those were the memories from the first day. They were, you know, this event, this family wedding, this and like, what? Ah, like, doesn't isn't that a loss? What do I do? I, you know, I was trying to hide my tears as I packed away some of the painting pictures, but I couldn't. What, what would you say to parents? Is that an example of some of the loss that you do see? Yeah, I, I definitely think that is how loss often can manifest. Um, and, you know, there are sometimes there's these uh, parents are doing their best 
to manage the loss, but you can see, I think, what Kubler-Ross called bargaining. Well, when when I see my kid to their face, I'll use the name they want, but in talking to family or friends, they're still using the other name. So sometimes, you know, you can kind of be in this in-between space. I'm trying to do what they want and use the pronouns and names, or I'll use they, them, but I won't use he, him. Um, and so sometimes parents are in this in-between space of, with loss of uh, knowing something has to change, but not being able to change it the way the kid is asking for. Um, and, you know, I think pictures in particular are so hard and there's so many good memories for the families associated with pictures often. So I will tell a parent, you know, you might feel comfortable. Maybe you feel more comfortable keeping them, taking them down from the main family spaces, like the living room or the kitchen, but you should hold on to those pictures. They're really important to you. So I would say, you know, create a space in your bedroom where you can see them or create an album that, that you can look at. That's why, you know, that's in, in a, in a separate space. Um, just because you're right, Laura, it can be really triggering for the kid or upsetting uh, because they want to be seen as their affirmed gender in that moment. And it's, it can be painful. And, and, I, and I bring that up as an, because it was when I started doing this work, I, I literally remember when I was like, oh, I never, I never, like that's an example of nobody's fault, nobody's wrong, a complication built into some of this path that we work with families to say, you know, it's, it's expected. It makes sense to me that you'd have feelings about it. How can we negotiate? How can we facilitate conversation? How can we, how can we support both of you? And in case of a tie, how does a child win? Right? Like, like, honestly, like, are we asking this child to hold the sadness of, of seeing a concrete example? And we just expect them to be able to hold that because it'd be too sad for us as parents to change that or, or do we look at what it, you know, how can we acknowledge that that's hard for the young person, hard for a parent and support the parent in, in, in getting, um, getting the wraparound support they need to be able to come up with a, a solution. I mean, lots of times there are solutions for ways to have everybody's needs feel met, even if it isn't right away, there are ways to do that. So I could, I could talk for hours, but any, any final thoughts you want to make sure that listeners have about this concept of loss and the coming out process, if families are feeling it? Yeah, you know, one thing I just wanted to do is just normalize for all parents listening um, this idea of loss associated with your kid not being who you wanted them to be or not being who you imagine they would always be. Because I think this can be a universal theme with parents. Mm -hmm. It's not just about gender. I think um, most kids end up doing things or being not exactly who you thought they were. Once you kind of launch them, really once, once they're teens, they're starting to develop identity, interests, hobbies that may be completely different than things you find interesting, maybe even their, their clothing style, whether they want tattoos or body piercings, Friendships. what they find attractive. So I just think that's an important perspective to keep in mind when we think about loss. I think a lot of parents live with an illusion of kind of what they want for their relationship with their kid, right? Um, I, I had a young person I worked with 
whose mom really wanted their kid to see them as a best friend and wanted to be able to pal around. And, and you know, that wasn't what they had in the moment. I think later it did evolve yeah. to be more close, but in the moment, that's not what it was. And it was very painful for her to, to see that the relationship wasn't like, that wasn't that close. And so I think it's good for us just, just to normalize for parents, right? No yep. matter who your kid is, whether they're trans, whether they're non-binary, whether they're cisgender, um, your kid is is going to be developing, uh, and their development may be really different than what you wanted, and that's okay, right? And you're going to be going through um, some pain associated with that because it's making you shift, right? Your view of them. Yeah, I, that is. And it's a, not a failure on your part. No, right. I mean, that's so beautiful. I really, that's a great place to, to, there is a unit, while there are distinct things to the gender journey, and it's important to find distinct community with other parents uh, who are walking this walk, find support groups, read, learn, um, ask for time alone with your child's therapist, ask for time with your own therapist. It's, there, those are distinct things. There's also a universality, a universality to to letting go, letting your kid be who they're meant to be, not living through your kid, dealing with your own um, sense of of your expectations, and being able to flex and being able to see the 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 beauty and the wonder and the all these doors that that will open people places things perceptions that are really a pretty amazing part of of this when folks have the space they need to be supported so yeah thank you Lucette for having this conversation it's a it's yeah. a tricky one to have because we definitely don't want kids and folks in community to hear us rolling out the grief you know of dealing with we want to say if you are a parent or know a parent who is struggling, then it's really important to make space and, and that there can be greater understanding in the family about where the hard part lies and how we can use some of that information to heal and strengthen families so that kids yeah. are seen and safe and supported. So thank you so much for everything you do for me and families in the community yeah. and for hopping in today. Thank you. Lisa. Thanks for asking me. Sure. I enjoyed our conversation. Take care. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.com drlaraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.